Welcome to the DVM Divas podcast. Today's hot topic is handling interview questions. Then Melissa will share her clinic hack that will not only help you physically, but mentally. Maria is going to share a pretty significant mom fail that I'm pretty sure many of us have witnessed. And Anne will go into our clinic when that you can use. Join us as we go beyond the stethoscope. Welcome to the DVM Divas podcast. It's no secret that the veterinary profession is made up of thousands of amazing women. In fact, we're more than 60% of the current workforce. But it's also apparent that we've been struggling to stay happy and fulfilled. Well, join us, the DVM Divas, as we take this profession back from discontent. Listen as we explore the concepts that motivate us. Community. Making positive changes growth, compassion, and courage. Laugh with us, cry with us, celebrate with us as we define what it means to be a badass woman in veterinary medicine. Hello, ladies. How are you today? Good. How are you? Doing good. So today we're going to talk about interviewing people and us interviewing with different companies. So let's start with us being the interviewers and having an associate veterinarian in front of us that were uh, soon to be hopefully associate veterinarian in front of us and how we handle this conversation because it is very difficult interviewing someone because not everyone shows their true colors during an interview and you want to make sure that you get everything out of it. So with the two of you having previously owned or currently owned a vet hospital, how do you handle these conversations so that way you make sure you hire the right person? I guess for me, kind of when it comes down to an interview, no matter what position I'm interviewing for, like, yes, I would this human to have those basic skills that are required for that. Are you my receptionist? Can you answer a phone? Are you a technician? Can you place a catheter? Are you a doctor? Can you do surgery? You know, whatever those skills are. So skills completely aside, even if your skills aren't perfect, so maybe you're not a licensed technician, but you know, you've had animal experience for a long time. Fine. Skills I can train you with. What I really want to know is where's your head? Are you trainable? Do you have an open mindset? Do you have a fixed mindset? Those are kind of the things where I go with my questions. Do a lot of like, what are your long-term goals? What are your short-term goals? What are your values? You know, I really ask them for their top three to four values because I want to know, I don't even care what the value, well, okay, I do care what the values are to an extent. I mean, if somebody comes in and is like, I want all the money in the world, I'm like, great, you know that. Okay, good. You've at least thought about it. Like I want them, I want them to see some level of self-awareness. You know, for me, I can push it even further to how do you prefer to be corrected? And you know, if they sit there and tell me they've never messed up, great, nice to meet you. You can have a wonderful day. You know, how do you prefer to be corrected? Do you prefer it in written form? Do you prefer a verbal? You know, do you prefer over a cup of coffee away from the clinic? You know, some people want it. I want you to tell me I messed up right now. Some people want it five or 10 minutes from now. Some people want it two days from now. So like, do they know themselves well enough to recognize those things? So then sometimes too, it's a, you know, tell me about a time that you failed. How did you feel? What happened? How did you go about correcting it? Those kinds of things. And then I even drag it even further. Like, how do you handle conflict? Can you tell your boss that, you know, something's wrong? Can you not? I guess I go that way a lot more and maybe that's not the right way to go, but. 
No, I think that's a really smart way to go. And I've found that it kind of, like you said, it's, I don't always care what the exact answer is. I just want to know that there is an answer beyond yes, no, I don't know. If I ask, why do you want this job? And they can't tell me why, you know, that's a huge red flag. Like you said, if it's just, well, I need a job, I need a paycheck. Well, that's not exactly the kind of dynamic that I want on the team. Because like we all know, this is a high stress job and I need people that are not going to fall apart. And I think that's a really smart question, Anne, that you have about how do you want to be corrected? I never really thought about asking that. And I think that's really important because I do struggle with that sometimes because everybody has a different personality and how I want it to be handled is probably not how others necessarily want it to be handled. And that's okay. And there is nothing wrong with trying to get down on everybody's level to a certain extent. And I really like that suggestion. I was bugging our office manager at work earlier because, you know, they've obviously interviewed more recently than what I have. And I was, you know, giving them a hard time. And she even threw out that the question they've really liked a lot lately is what are two emotions that you want to feel more of every day? Ooh, I like Ooh, that's that. a good one. What are two emotions that you would like to feel less of every day? And happy and sad are not, <laughs> they're not options, right? And so they have a whole kind of list or chart that they like slide to somebody and it's like, all right, what do you want? And so it's kind of an interesting way to determine if they've one ever thought about it to if they can identify their own emotions. Cause I mean, come on, like you're saying, Melissa, it's a high stress environment. We're constantly go, go, go. You have to be able to call that emotion and know what you need to do with that emotion in a very quick succession, especially when you've got so many people running around and so many emotions. You have to at least know your own. When we're hiring assistants or technicians or possibly even, I guess, associates would maybe fall into this. You know, I'm very blunt and specific about the fact that this job is messy. This job is not happy a lot of days. And we have sick animals. We have dying animals. They will be around sad, complicated scenarios. And if they don't feel like that is going to work for them, or that's not something that they can adapt to, that there is zero shame in that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I want them to recognize if at any point we bring them onto the team and they can't deal with that, I need to know. And and we always joke, one of the biggest red flags when we see on an application or anything is, why do you want this job? Because I love animals. Ooh, okay. Yes, we love animals, but we all know to survive this, you do have to be able to pull yourself back and we're going to be in situations that are crappy and you know we need to have that sort of boundary there. And so I, I will lay that out in the interview to say, look, this is how it's going to be. And if you waver on this, you know, you might think if this is really the job for you because I don't want to put anybody in a position that is unhealthy for them. For me, it really depends on the position that I'm interviewing for. So if I'm interviewing for a receptionist, I'm very blunt about what to expect. I'm very blunt about the yelling clients and how would you handle situations. I put them in situations and I want to know what they have done previously, what they plan on doing for it. For veterinary assistants or CVTs, I talk about more conflict between the team because I feel like in that area, we're so close together that the conflict occurs so much. So I ask, I guess, conflict and behavior stuff, because I feel that, like Anne said, I can train some 
somebody to pick up the phone. I can train that person to place that catheter, but I can't train that person to have the personality to deal with the team they are going to be thrown into to handle things appropriately. And I'm very big on it in my own hospital and places that I've been. You have to fit and you have to be able to mesh well with the team because if you're not going to mesh well with the team, you're going to break it apart. You know, with doctors, I have to say my biggest thing is, have you ever made a mistake? Because I have had doctors say, nope, never made a mistake. I'm sorry. You're human. (laughs) Everyone has made mistakes and it's okay to admit it. The thing is, if you admit it and you can fix it, or maybe you can't fix it, but you can understand you admitted it and then you can take the precautions to not do it again, you have to be able to learn from it. So I'm very big with trying to figure out what they've done wrong, not to point out, well, you did this, but to see they've learned from it and they're able to change. But I'm big on personality. And it's because I've seen people come into hospitals and you think, oh my God, they're a great tech or, oh, they're a great doctor. or Oh, they're an awesome receptionist. But they take the team down so much. And that one bad apple is what can break it apart. Have you ever been in a scenario where you've utilized any sort of formal like personality screening, um, you know, like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or, you know, that type of stuff? I know it's becoming a lot more commonplace, especially in bigger corporations where they're kind of doing this as their onboarding. And I am a sucker for the personality profiles. I love taking them. I love learning about them. Like I love them. And I can see where there would be some benefit to looking at this balance of personalities within your practice. We actually had a DISC trainer come in and kind of do an assessment of everybody at the practice. It was really fascinating. And he did say that there are actual companies, they have a bunch of one type of personality and not enough of another when they are looking to to bring in their next person, they might look for somebody that kind of fills that gap. Sometimes it does take that balance. You know, you need to have your, your very energetic, your very go-getters balanced off with some of your maybe more reserves, little, you know, chill kind of personalities. Yeah, I think that because if everyone's go-getters and like crazy, oh, and I just can't imagine like working in a place that we were all like this. It drives <laughs> me nuts. <laughs> but yeah, that balance is definitely key. I'm like you, Melissa. I love nerding out on that kind of thing. I love it. And like, I want to know what everybody's is. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, so I should talk to you this way. Like, yeah. And it goes back to that when you asked, you know, how do you want to be handled or how not to be handled? You can't ask that. You, you can't handle people. That is an inappropriate question. <laughs> Hands off. But no, yeah, when you brought how up- How do you prefer the, to be corrected? Yeah. That kind of ties into that, you know, what's your personality style? What do you respond to most effectively? I think the other thing that goes along with it is how do you prefer to be acknowledged? And that it is, it's a two question for us. Yeah, because a lot of people, like I feel like some people like it to be huge while other people's like it to be like a little email, like thank you for doing this, you know? So is there anything that you would recommend asking besides those questions for somebody who is interviewing someone for a position at their hospital? There was a post here recently. I don't remember exactly which page I saw it on, but uh, the topic was new graduates, veterinarians specifically. And it's really hard because the new graduates don't 
know what they're capable yet of either. You know, some are going to come in with all kinds of experience based on where they went to school, based on what externships they did. Others aren't going to have much experience with surgery. I mean, it, it could be such a huge sort of difference. And, you know, how do you, when you're bringing in a new grad, how do you do that, I guess? And one of the things somebody had posted, and I thought it was pretty brilliant, was one, having a realistic expectation that a new grad, I don't care where you came from, I don't care how many externships you did, you're going to be slow, you're going to be scared to death, you're going to have imposter syndrome, you're, all those things are going to be there. And so as the employer, you have to be realistic and understanding that this new graduate is not going to be showing up and ready for you to leave the building so that you can go take that week-long vacation that you have been so desperately needing for six years. I mean, nobody's denying that you need the vacation, but it's, you cannot expect that person to fill up that role right away. And so having a very detailed and very specific sort of training schedule, you know, where you would schedule certain amounts, obviously have longer times for appointments and maybe ease them into surgery, starting with the easy neuters, cat spays, moving on up to full in heat, 60 pound lab spays, that kind of stuff. I think we all just shuddered. <laughs> when you're interviewing that new grad for all that, Melissa, I think that the biggest thing is finding out because all the new grads want a mentor. Mm -hmm. Do they really know what that means? Right. What does that mean to you? Right. And so I think that is a great question. What does being a mentor mean to you? Because then they can answer that. Okay. So you expect us to be in surgery with you and build that schedule from what they expect a mentor to be. Well, and I think it could also be tied into that same question of how do you like to be corrected? How do you like to be acknowledged? How do you want to be mentored? Like you said, what does that look like to you? And I think there's nothing wrong with putting it in writing and saying, okay, by month three, these are the things that we're going to have hopefully accomplished. And, you know, by month six, we're going to reevaluate to say, are you here yet? Where are we not meeting these goals? And then, you know, putting in that first year's contract so that if it's not working, you have something concrete to say, okay, these were the benchmarks we were looking for. We didn't make that, you know, whether or not you're a pro sal, that's a whole nother thing. I don't want to get into the salaries and all that kind of stuff. That's not, that's a whole different, like five podcast episodes in one, but yeah, just finding out, <clears throat> I think just asking the questions period and not just, oh yes, we offer mentoring. And um, on the other hand, from the interviewee, yes, I want mentoring. Okay. Dig deeper, go deeper, ask specifically, what does that look like? And start those conversations. I mean, maybe this is digressing a little bit from the interview, but like you're saying, Melissa, put those 30 day, 90 day, 180 day, put it on the calendar, make it happen. Don't just say we're going to do it in 90 days, put it on the calendar, actually get it done. So I think the other, to flip it, when we're interviewing for a job, obviously every position is going to be different for the questions that we need to ask. But what are some things that you guys recommend people ask to make sure we dive down to make sure that they're actually selecting the right for them? One thing that kind of recently came up a little bit, I think, is not to be afraid to ask hard questions about policy and culture. Um, you know, one specific thing that comes to mind, we run into this on a day 
daily basis is what is this practice's policy on walk-ins, you know, drop-in appointments? Is the policy that every appointment gets seen no matter what, and they're put into a room and that's the way it goes. And knowing all of the potential consequences of that, of, you know, if you're coming in as a, a younger graduate or a younger associate, are you going to be expected to squeeze in one more appointment in between your busy surgery schedule and the dog's bay that went too long, you know, is, is that going to be expected of you? Are you okay with that? Is that something that you are comfortable being a part of? You know, or do they have a, a pretty good policy of encouraging the client to drop their patients off? Some of those things that I think have been sticking points or sources of tension or sources of burnout for a lot of newer, younger grads is the caseload. You know, do you have breaks in your schedule to do medical records? Finding out all of that before you sign on the dotted line, you know, and it may take you hanging out in the clinic for a couple of days, you know, or at least a day. Don't be afraid to ask those questions, I guess. This is important to you. Don't just ask the questions that make you look good. You know, we want people in our practices that are going to be a good fit. Like you said, Maria, if the way we do things will not mesh with you and your mental health and your mental well-being, then this is not a good fit for either one of us. And I would much rather know that from the beginning as an employer, or if I'm going into a new position, I don't want to be committed to somewhere that just doesn't resonate with how I want to live and how I want to practice. There's plenty of jobs out there. So find the one that you know will work better for your personality. I think another good question to stick in with that is how many days a week do you get lunch? Uh, yes. <laughs> and how yes. often, how long is your lunch? A good employer would, would be honest with you and tell you, but sometimes I'd be nervous that they actually wouldn't tell you, be like, yeah, you get lunch every day. You get scheduled lunch every day. But how often, the, I would ask the technician. Yeah, ask the receptionist, ask the techs. So it brings us down to a good point is you need to shadow these places. You need to observe or work a day and say, hey, can I do a day of relief here and see if it is something that I like. And that's where you start digging in. Because I feel like a lot of times employers want to be like, this is the best place to work. Not everywhere, but they believe it's the best place to work and what to them it is. But you need to make sure it's right for you. You know, a lot of questions that I ask are how many of your doctors are here past, say, six o'clock? Because if they're like, well, usually they stay till 637 to finish up charts. Why aren't they being efficient enough? Let me tell you, I'm out the door at six o'clock. I don't want to hear that we're being here until 630. So what is not going right? Is it the doctors or is it the way that you're scheduling the pets? Is it like you're taking every walk in? Like these are questions that need to be asked, but it's something that you're not going to see in an interview. You're going to see when you're actually working. So I always tell people, if you're looking for a job, whether it be a receptionist, a technician, or a doctor, ask to do a couple hours of shadowing and dig deep into the staff because the staff is the one that's going to tell you the truth. I would agree. Another question that I think would be a good one to ask, and you might feel like you don't have a place to ask it, but I would say ask it is how will it be handled if I request a certain product or medication to be carried that the clinic doesn't already carry? Mm -hmm. If you're going into a corporate position, you, you may not have any say. I would imagine that it's pretty structured. I don't know exactly how that works. I've never been in corporate, but you know, if they say what we have is what we have, we're not changing anything, or do they seem open to, especially if you're a new grad, you might know <laughs> a lot newer stuff than I do. I love, I love working with new grads. And so if you are going to be 
in a place that is not going to allow you any say in new products or inventory or kind of let you find your way in, in what medications you want to practice with and they are not willing to budge on that, to me, that would be a red flag. And I would urge you to reconsider. Well, I know for me, when I interview and when I interview others, I really like it when before they even show up to the interview, they know about my company. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no excuse to walk in and not know what my mission statement is. If you don't know, it's okay to ask because then that's another thing, you know, like dig into their online presence. I don't necessarily mean like read all their Yelp reviews because <laughs> being in the veterinary field, we know those can go all sorts of wrong. But what I mean is, you know, check out their website. What's their mission statement? What's their value statement? Do they have pictures of their staff? You know, what do they put out there online? Is that something that you're comfortable with or not comfortable with? What does their Facebook page look like? You know, because you can get, I think, a feel for a culture and a practice online before you ever walk in the door. And then if you find something that you have a question about, ask. Like, I'm super impressed when people come in and are like, so I read your mission statement online. (laughs) What made you choose this word over this word? Right. Because then that's them interviewing me for my mindset and how I treat my employees and how things are handled with us. And I want to flip that. If you're interviewing someone, research them. I have sat in interviews and people have pointed out things before I even said anything. It wasn't on my resume. Pointed things out and asked me about things. And I was like, they must really be interested in me. They must really value me because they took the time to actually research me. So on both ends, we need to really research each other and we need to see, like pick those things that you wouldn't typically know about because that's the thing that might actually make the connection with the two of you. Um, Also a little bit on that end, clean up your social media accounts. If you are going in to interview for new jobs, like if you know I am going to start interviewing for jobs, they're going to look. Yes. And so make sure that every picture you have available is one that you are proud of, or at least not embarrassed about. Just make sure that the message that you're putting out on your social media accounts are who you want to be looked at as a potential employee, because they will look, Mm -hmm. they will look. I cleaned up my Facebook when I, (laughs) when I started applying for jobs, when I got I don't think I've ever cleaned mine up. I think there's probably stuff like way back from college. Oh no, I deleted a lot of stuff, but like not... (laughs) saying it was anything bad. It was just, I wasn't professional. But yes, clean up your social media. Don't privatize it. Delete it. As an employer, honestly, if I'm looking at somebody's profile and they have stuff from when they were in college and there's normal college stuff there, I'm not going to hold that against them. I mean, I, right. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not, they don't have double standards like that. Right. But still, I mean, I guess just use your best judgment. Just know that kind of scroll through and, and ask yourself, is there anything on here that could potentially, you know, kind of goes back to our conversation about dress codes at conferences, you know, dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. And I think for your social media, it's kind of that same concept, you know, post for the job that you want, portray yourself for the job that you're looking for. You know, have a critical eye, I guess, of yourself and decide what you feel like you want to put forward. So do you, either of you have any other suggestions for questions that somebody who is interviewing for a Don't be afraid to ask the questions. You know, I guess that's my biggest take home is worst case scenario. If somebody doesn't hire you because you were asking questions, you didn't want to work for that person anyway. Mm-hmm. It's only going to just bring up potential conflict before you sign that contract. Well, and I think you, you make a good point there too. And I think the combination of 
ask questions during the interview, ask about culture, ask, do people get lunch? Ask those questions and then do your working interview, hang out for a few hours, hang out for a day or two and see is what you're being told match what's actually happening. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes or no. And then I think that can kind of help too. Yeah. It can tell you what kind of culture you're going into just by doing those two things. All right, guys. So let's dive into some wins, hacks, and fails. Let's start out with the hack today. So let's go to Melissa for our hack. Well, and it actually kind of very much partners up with what we've been talking about (laughs) this whole episode. So my hack is being able to squeeze in exercise over my lunch hour. What? I know. How do you have time for that? Well, first of all, it goes back to everything we've talked about. Having a lunch break is a huge priority and it is the exception rather than the rule for us to not get a lunch break. I mean, certainly there are days when that doesn't happen, but we make every effort to get everybody their break. That's just something that we value. I think everybody needs that time. So luckily, one of the benefits of being in this small town is that I have a gym wellness center just five minutes from the clinics and they offer a workout class three days a week over the lunch hour. Even if I don't go to the actual class, I could go on the treadmill. I could go lift some weights. I I can get a 30 minute workout in without too much difficulty an hour lunch typically. So I can take 15 minutes or so to get myself changed, to get over there, do my workout, come back and make sure then in all the dry shampoo, all the things to smell good, complete change of clothes. I'm not going to say that I hop in the shower and do like a full wash my hair because I I don't. I mean, let's be honest, I have an hour. So, but the dogs don't care if I have the messy bun. I mean, my hair is going to get pulled up anyway by the end of the day. So I don't need to be pretty as long as I don't stink. (laughs) I will then just usually eat my lunch kind of in between my first afternoon appointments, you know, I don't really sit down and eat. To me on those days, I enjoy just maybe just even going for a walk when the weather's nice, going for a jog, getting out of the building, even if it's for just 30 or 40 minutes. I've even just honestly sat in my car some days on the nice days, (laughs) drive out to a shady spot and just listen to a podcast or something. But it's so hard to get time to work out. I would love to say that I work out in the morning before I go to work. Rarely do I do that. By the time I get home, I'm wiped, I'm exhausted. I've got a thousand kid activities to do and I just don't want to anymore. So I've found that if I do it, then it gives me the break I need from the clinic and it gets my workout in and it just works for me. And so I encourage people to explore it as an option. Again, if you're not getting that lunch break, we need to work on that. So let's go over, we'll do my mom fail today. So today was a big fail for me. I never experienced this by myself and I really didn't know how to handle it. And it ended up with me like holding one kid in one hand, screaming and the other one kicking and screaming in the other hand. Oh shoot. (laughs) So my my mom fail is that my two-year-old and four-year-old destroyed DSW today and I did not know what to do. I pride myself in that when I take my kids out, I can have them in line and they listen to me and it might be a little bit rough, but it'll never go as far as my two-year-old running down the aisle of DSW at 10, 15 in the morning, knocking over their display of... <laughs> 
shoes that piled up higher than his head and then running to the end of the aisle, pulling out the boxes, throwing them on the floor while my two-year-old, my four-year-old, excuse me, laughed and joined him. As I'm running down the aisle, screaming their names, chasing them with two pairs of shoes. <laughs> because I've been dreading this day and waiting for my coupons to take effect so I can get them new shoes so they didn't have holes in them. So I apologize to the DSW employees <laughs> that had to clean up my mess. <laughs> Oh. which didn't end with a pile of shoes in the children's section, but ended with the light-up Spider-Man watches at the register that were thrown everywhere as my four-year-old threw a tantrum on the floor. Oh, it is no fun being that mom. Nope. Thankfully, I was the only person in the store except for the employees. So good. So hopefully there's not too many, like, screenshots. Unfortunately, and... it was next to my job, so they know who I am as my kid destroy their store. I'm going to watch for that security video to pop up on YouTube. <laughs> Send him a box of donuts or something tomorrow. I think I might. And the woman was so nice to me that checked me out that she gave me an extra $20 off because I think she felt bad for me as my four-year-old was screaming on the floor that I wouldn't buy him the Spider-Man watch. So my fail is today. You know what? Sometimes things happen. We cannot control them. I think they caused havoc in the four places that I had to go today. You've earned your glass of wine then. Yes. <laughs> I earned my half a bottle that has abused. I earned it, and I yes. apologize for that. I might go buy them coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. So let's go on to something that's positive <laughs> as we go to Anne for our when today. So I'm super excited because, you know, after being in practice for this long, like there's not a ton of things we haven't done before, right? I mean, every once in a while something pops up. So I'm super excited because we had a little little kitty in who was blocked, little boy kitty. And my techs were, we were running through the options, you know, make sure we had all, all the pain controlled. And it was super funny because my one technician is, she's amazing. She's worked ER for a long time. And she's like, well, you do this to cows all the time, right? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, we're going to block him. And I was like, no, I don't understand. She's like, you know, coccygeal block. Like, you've got this. I'm sure you've done this to at least 100 cows. And I was like, you're darn right I have. We can figure this out. You know, ran over to the computer, typed it in, figured it out. Away we went. But it was super exciting because the little dude loved his little block after so he So you just kind of cranked on the tail like you would a cow and found the divot? and Yes. Okay, so there was a lot more shaving. Right. Yeah. And a yeah. lot more prepping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes. You didn't just brush off the manure and, and call it good. <laughs> no, there's a lot. And like the needle's a little bit different. Um, Really nice little thing. And I, I went on a veterinary forum that's just veterinarians and kind of typed in coccygeal block cat. Of course, everything popped up right away. But yeah, essentially same idea. Like shave, palpate, wiggle the tail up and down, find your spot, and then pop your needle in. It was just a 25 gauge needle. Oh, so little. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was super tiny, but it's the same feel. I was kind of surprised about. Granted, there was not as much like tissue and ligament. Definitely the same feel. Still did the hanging drop. That's my preferred method. Mm -hmm. So, Anne, if I ever have to do this, can I FaceTime you? But yeah, it was super cool and it worked. You know, sometimes they wake up after anesthesia and they're like, eh, don't quite feel right, you know? And it was awesome because you could still walk. Like, it doesn't affect their motor neurons and stuff. So, that is a win. That is awesome. Yeah, I was super stoked. Cool. 
So um, today we definitely talked about um, interviewing and these difficult conversations that we have. But we want to thank you for joining us on the DVM Divas podcast. And we would absolutely love to hear what you think. You can contact us on any one of our social media platforms and join us next week as we go beyond the stethoscope. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the DVM Divas podcast. Want to know more about us? Then visit our website at dvmdivas.com or find us on all of our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, and even LinkedIn. Just look for at dvmdivas. We can also be reached by email at admin at dvmdivas.com. Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, rate, review, and share. Your online love really does help. And tune in next week as we once again go beyond the stethoscope.